You're listening to the best of the day. I say you the, you the best. Halford and Bruff. Did we just lose the f***ing Canucks? No, 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 no. You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Yanni Gord, left wing into the slot, one time chance, Tolvin and scores! Soft, it was a, you know, you hate to call your team soft, but it was soft. Drops to Larson, right circle, Bjorkstrand scores! They started on time, we didn't, uh, we were chasing from, from there. Lost it to Jared McCann, got it in front, Ryan Donato with a backhander, he scores! How, 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 stop pummeling me! It's really painful! Good morning, Vancouver, 601 on a Thursday, happy Thursday, everybody. It is Halford, it is Bruff, it is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Hey, dog, good morning to you. Good morning. Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Folks, he's not just the spokesperson, he's also a client. Tell them about Kintech, Jason. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Uh, big show ahead on the Halbro Experience on a Thursday. Uh, we are going to begin the guest list, one, at 7 o'clock. Two, we're going to go NFL at 7 o'clock. Matt Verderam, uh, national NFL editor for Fansided, is going to join us as we get our look ahead. We're going to do a two-day look ahead to the AFC and NFC Championship games on Sunday. Matt Verderam from Fanside will join us at 7 o'clock to do that. 7.30, it's Frank Saravalli from Daily Faceoff. Nothing to talk about with Frank. No <laughs> shortage of topics to discuss with Frank Saravalli of Daily Faceoff. You know, Frank is a Philly guy. Uh, we should ask Frank what his like first memories of Rick Tockett yeah. were and those teams that Rick Tockett played on and considering the makeup of those teams and the type of player that Rick Tockett was. Mm-hmm. We what can ask it? him. If, what, if, what do you think? What do you think of this current Canucks group? Do you think? Do you think they're? Do you think? Uh, how do you think they do in a, in a big brawl with those Flyers? Did any of Rick Tockett's <laughs> coaches ever call a Rick Tockett team soft after two games of watching them play hockey? So what do you think him and Adam Foote are thinking right now on that bench? Just be like, oh my god! A lot of words that I can't say on the air. <laughs> probably, if I had to guess. Seven thirty. Frank Saravalli is going to join us. Eight o'clock. Brandon Batchelor, play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, we can talk to him about last night's 6-1 loss. The Canucks suffered in Seattle to the Kraken. He was on the call for it. It was ugly, folks. It was ugly, and Batch was there to break it all down. So 8 o'clock, Brandon Batchelor, 7.30, Frank Saravalli. 7 o'clock, uh, Matt Verderam is going to join us. Nine NHL games on the slate tonight. Canadian teams in action. Montreal's got Detroit. Winnipeg's got Buffalo. Uh, Calgary has the Chicago Blackhawks, who, now that we've seen those two games play out over the course of 48 hours, I think we can say that that win on Tuesday night might have had something to do with the Chicago Blackhawks. The Canucks decided to play the role of the Chicago Blackhawks last night, which was a nice turn. Uh, There's PGA, there's tennis, there's a lot of stuff on tonight. It's a busy sports night, but that's what's happening. Now we need to tell you what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? What happened? 
Well, it got really real for Rick Tockett yesterday in his second game as head coach of the Vancouver Canucks. The Seattle Kraken pounded Vancouver. Absolutely throttled the Canucks last night at Climate Pledge Arena. 6-1. to one, And it was the first loss for the Vancouver Canucks under new head coach Rick Tockett. Yeah. The Canucks went back to their old ways Wednesday in Seattle. I'm not sure um, who it made look worse the Canucks, obviously, or the Blackhawks, frankly, as, as you mentioned. Can we say both? Uh, the Kraken were, well, the Blackhawks at least have a plan to be bad. Successful bad team, those Chicago Blackhawks. The Kraken were all over the Canucks from the very start, and the Canucks obliged by playing all their classic hits uh, that we saw under Bruce Boudreaux, under Travis Green. Um, you know, maybe it, maybe some, maybe something Willie Dujardin. Yeah, maybe maybe the roster is a bit of a problem. Maybe it's not entirely the coach. Nah. There were the panicky giveaways by the likes of Horvat and Kuzmenko, and then Kuzmenko took a penalty after his bad giveaway. So that was yeah, it was like a bonus mistake by Kuzmenko. Uh, board battles were lost uh, all over the place. Um, JT Miller lost a key board battle about two minutes into the game. But, you know, Ryan Donato has always been a slippery player. Yes. Um, some ridiculously confused in-zone coverage where the Kraken were able to zip it around like they were on a five-on-three, but it was five-on-five. There were Canucks just kind of like looking around like, where where should I be? Yep. I, I don't know where I should be. And Rick Tockett was uh, replying from the bench, not there. Yeah, anywhere else but there. <laughs> Oh, and uh, the league's worst penalty kill gave up a few more goals for good measure. So, um, huh. They played all the hits. You were right. They played all the hits last night. The most interesting thing about last night's game, to be perfectly honest, wasn't the game. It was everyone waiting to see what Rick Tockett was going to say in the aftermath, and Tockett did not disappoint. I'll say this. I'm starting to understand why Jim Rutherford might like Rick Tockett. Because I think it took two games for Tockett to say that his team was really bad and call them soft. And I feel like that's kind of a Rutherford approach. When Rutherford says he's maybe sometimes too honest and uh, too forthright in his remarks, I think deep down he likes that. I still think Tockett was trying to hold his tongue yesterday. Oh, like there for were cert- sure he yeah, was. There he was, was holding cert- back. Yeah, he was like, don't swear. The, he's, <laughs> he's, like, he's like, Jimmy... Jimmy said that he was going to zip it. Maybe I should take some of that, but he did not zip it. So let's just go through some of this audio here because there's a lot to parse through from Talkit last night. Uh, we will begin. Where do you want to begin? Do you want to begin with you the start. leadership? You do you want to begin? You, you know start. what? You start. I, I. You know what? Like I. Uh, let's begin. I, I, with I, the- I know you were watching it closely because you were uh, following it on Twitter or, or transcribing on Twitter. So hockey talk mode last night. Yeah, you, you were transcribing old. off the TV. Forty-three-year-old guy and his coach. Anyway, uh, let's start with the quote that got everybody's attention. Rick Tockett calling his team soft. Take it away, laddie. This is Rick Tockett following the game last night. A 6-1 loss to the Kraken at Climate Pledge. Yeah, soft. It was a, you know, you hate to call your team soft, but it was soft tonight. You know, we didn't uh, didn't participate on the wall battles. We didn't get a rim out. You know, that we knew we're there, you know, this is a good team. We didn't play predictable. We started regrouping, like old habits, you know, old habits came. We were just talking to the coach stuff, man. I wish I had about 10 practices. I really do. And uh, it shows tonight that we got a lot of work to do. 
So I'll just say when I was transcribing that, I couldn't really emphasize when he said we have a lot of work to do. Mm-hmm. I didn't know whether to spell lot with like seven O's <laughs> or put little asterisks a, around it. People were like, we have a loot. Got all, yeah. caps, all caps would have been. The because word. there's a big difference between the quote, uh, we've got a lot of work to do. Mm-hmm. And then when Tocket said he's we got a lot of work to do. Those are important <laughs> distinctions. And he was talking about the need for practice time. Well, the Canucks aren't going to have many practices over the next little while. Uh, they don't have one today. Today is an off day, scheduled off day. Um, and then they're on their all-star break. And then they go on a... <laughs> Maybe they'll practice during the all-star break. <laughs> and then they go on a big road trip back east. Well, not a bit. Well, four-game road trip. So I think one of their... I think their next practice is like in New Jersey after a long day of travel. Right. So like that'll be a sharp... It'll be a sharp group there right after the, the all-star break. Matt and Richmond, I want to read some text here into the Dunbar Lumber text line. Sure. 650, 650, if you have any comments. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street. Uh, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Matt and Richmond, to ownership and management, it's the roster, stupid. It's not good enough and never has been past three years. No coach... We'll solve this, blow up this core instead of extending this continuous hamster wheel of misery. Well, we will talk about uh, some players that are pending unrestricted free agents and whether the Canucks are going to sign them or not. We'll have the discussion about Kuzmenko, about Bo Horvat uh, later on this hour. But let's get to more of uh, some Rick Tockett audio. Yeah. Him calling them soft. That is uh, the second game that he has coached behind the bench, and he's calling his team soft. Like I, I know he, he probably had an idea of that, and he, that he was, was going, aware of their inherent. Softness. That was going to be his opinion. Yeah. Um, don't forget what type of hockey player Rick Tockett was. This was a guy that was yes, a good player, and would score quite a bit for some very good Flyers teams. In the 80s, he played for a bunch of other teams, but I think of him, I still think of him that, like he's a flyer. And um, he had close to 300 penalty minutes some yeah. nights, yeah. right? Like that was a really, really tough team. Has the game changed? Yeah, the game changed. Like no one's getting 300 penalty minutes anymore. That just doesn't happen. There aren't many yeah. guys with over 100 penalty minutes. But I think with him and Adam Foote on the bench there, teams often um, – you know, like a, a coach wants his team to play like he played, right? Like Bruce Boudreaux was a guy that liked offensive hockey, and that's the type of player mm-hmm. he was. I don't know if Bruce Boudreaux and Adam Foote want that type of hockey. Uh, Rick Tockett. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I, I think, I think when he's talking about soft in this, he's not talking about we need to go out and face punch people because they actually did that last night, right? And although Jimmy Oleksak also did some. Face punching. I think what he's talking about is soft in relation to uh, being hard to play against. We've talked about that a lot. Mm-hmm. That, you know, toughness and hardness doesn't always translate into pounding a guy through the glass or pounding his face in. It's it's no. got to do with being a difficult team to play against. It's not hard to parse talk its words right now because he's not even really parsing them himself. It's uh, play straightforward. And he said predictable hockey about 15 times over the course of 48 hours. Yeah. And predictability for him is um, it's simple, and everyone on the ice knows what's coming next. Therefore, we can play a little bit faster, and we can do the things, and we can get into the style of play that we want to get into. It's really straightforward. 
But they're not doing it right now. They're not even doing anything close. And that's what fr- what's frustrating. For him, not just frustrating, there were times last night, you and I were joked when we were texting back and forth, he sounded like he was at a complete loss for words. <laughs> I mean, he even said it. He said, I, I, don't, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. I think he was a little bit stunned at how bad it was. Yeah. I think he knew that it could get bad, but I don't think he realized it would play out that badly in front of his eyes. Right? He said in that quote, and I don't know if we picked it up, nobody here wants the puck. It's a fairly damning indictment of your hockey team because the puck is a very integral part of the game. Well, I think the, you need that, don't you? You need it. Yeah, you need it. I think some of the most interesting things he said was when he was talking about every play seems to be some attempt at like a home run play. Yes, right, a home run pass. And how many times have we said that about JT Miller, for example? Like he he's always trying to make the home run pass, and sometimes he does. And oftentimes that's why he piles up points. He makes really good plays. But when you're trying to make those plays all the time, instead of just sometimes make, I'm going to go into AV mode here, the high percentage play, the easy play, mm-hmm. just go make that. You're like not every yeah. pass, like Kuzmenko um, got in trouble coming out of his own end uh, in the first period because he was trying to make this crazy cross. It wasn't crazy, but it was like this – Big, long cross-ice pass yeah. where it was going to spring someone. Well, he flubbed it, and then the puck turns over, and he had to take a penalty. He didn't have to, but he chose to. Yes, he very much chose <laughs> he didn't to. didn't have to. Like, yeah. it wasn't a law, but, like, it's that type of thing. But that's a system thing, right? Like, the guys don't know what to do with the puck, so they're like, okay, well, I'm going to do a home run play here. On the subject of JT Miller, who you alluded to there, uh, Tockett mentioned the leadership group as well yesterday, and I thought that was a really pointed criticism and a noteworthy one. Uh, among the criticisms, here's Rick talking on his leadership group and leaders following that aforementioned 6-1 loss to the Kraken last night. Well, listen, you know, we all know there's some holes we got to fill. Um, you know, we got to get that leadership group stronger, uh, more resilient uh, team, obviously. Um, and listen, I, I'm not making excuses, but maybe the anxiety caught up to them. And every it just, it looked like everybody looked tired. Everybody couldn't handle the puck. Usually, you know, some games you have three or four guys that don't look good, but it seemed like I, I don't. There's a couple of guys actually really trying out there, but the rest of the guys were really struggling tonight. And maybe the anxiety hit their legs. I don't know. Horvat was not good last night. He's the captain of the group. Mm-hmm. Um, he may not be long for this team. Uh, JT Miller is another leader on this team he was not good and i was talking about like he talking was talking about board battles like he lost one early on to ryan donato yeah. that justin Bourne and and i both kind of i put it on twitter and then Bourne had it on the uh on the broadcast right and it was part of it was just like bad habits like it was two minutes into the game and ryan donato had uh, got a pass behind the Canucks net. And Miller just went in on such a bad angle that Donato was able to spin off of him and have like a direct path to the net. Now people will say, yo, you're picking on JT Miller again. Well, if your centers are losing battles like that mm-hmm. down low, that's a major, major problem yes. defensively for your group. Now, people will say, well, why not, what about Horvat's giveaway? Yeah, Horvat wasn't very good mm-hmm. either. Nobody was good. Uh, but it's interesting that JT Miller played just 16 minutes and 30 seconds. What does that tell you? 
16 minutes and 30 seconds. Maybe he blocked out si- for a little bit. And six minutes of that was on the power play. JT Miller only played about 10 minutes, even strength. That is a, that is a major demotion in ice time compared to what he was getting under the former coach. Unsigned text here about ice time and shifts and what have you. This must be from Gary. Uh, I repeat, Brock Besser, 21 shifts, 19 minutes time on ice. Zero shots, zero hits. It's the old Sam Mitchell stat line. Zero, 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 zero. I mean, he is the definition of soft. Besser is having a real tough go of it. Really tough. Uh, The nine goals, and we're coming up on 40 games right now, just hangs there in that sort of very lonely single digit in the stats card. It's not great. Uh, and I'll say this, I don't think a lot of things about Brock Besser's game translate into what Rick Tockett wants to see out of his skaters on a regular basis. I'm holding out hope for Garland for two reasons. Is One, I think when he's engaged, he can be a little bit more of a consistent pain-in-your-ass, thorn-in-your-side pest. But when he's not, he's just a dude that floats around the perimeter and kind of puts muffins on net. So... I don't know if Tockett's got the key to unlock him like he did in Arizona, but we've talked a lot about... He, are you talking about Besser? No, 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 Garland. Oh, Garland. Yeah, Garland. but I'm t- we're talking about Garland and Besser, mm-hmm. and we've often talked about them in tandem because it's like those two guys are the two guys that need to go, right? <laughs> so you're kind of looking at it and you're saying, well, can you salvage either of these situations because they're so bad right now? That stat I threw out yesterday mm-hmm. where Dries and Joshua... Almost have the same amount of goals as Besser and Garland combined, which is wild when you think about it for the amount that the Canucks are spending on the latter two. Well, hey, what does it tell you about what Tockett thinks of this team that Dakota Joshua seems to be getting quite a bit of opportunity? Yeah, part of it I think is intentional when he came in and kind of made a mandate that he wanted to see more out of his bottom six guys. And I think you can prop them up by giving them more ice time. But the, I mean, Joshua played 14 minutes last night. He had, he had, he, I think he had the. The Jack Stanika spot on yeah. up in the top, and I six. believe he might have been one of the guys that Tockett was uh, alluding to. Where he's like, we had a couple guys that were really trying tonight. Well, my point was that Tockett looks at him and goes, "Here's a big guy that actually is able to get physical. Yeah. Maybe we can try and get a little more out of him." And he's probably going, "This is a bit of a desperation ploy." Like, with all due respect to Dakota Joshua, he shouldn't be playing in the top six of any team. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, I think that's exactly, or not exactly, but reasonably close. To the thought process there. Uh, Laddie, I don't have all of the slugs for the Rick Tockett in front of me, but what was another noteworthy clip that we can play? Because Tockett had a lot of stuff to say after the game, despite the fact that, just like his predecessor, he threw out the I don't know what to say or I'm not sure what to say when trying to analyze this team. What do we got? Well, that was the other big clip, the one where he says, I don't know what to say. The one where he was speechless was, yeah. uh, was probably the biggest takeaway from Let's the Rick that. Tockett press conference. Well, you, like I said, you last that, you know. I warned Elegy and the coach Elegy. It's one game, but it's hard to do it again and again. It, 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 was, it was hard for them to stay in good habits. You know, frustration. Um, you know, I don't like to say the anxiety, but it, it, you just—I don't—I don't know what to say. I really don't. It's one of those, you know, uh, game plan is there. And it's hard to continue to do it. Sometimes when you have to play a good team like that, it's okay to live for another shift, you know. Just advance the puck, 
you know, you don't always have to make a home run play, and then we try to make home run plays over home run plays, and then it's two, three, four, nothing, and then, you know, then the, uh, the game's over after that. Do you remember about a decade ago, they had that really, really good commercial for the Stanley Cup? Mm. And I think the commercial was called No Words. Yeah. And the, it was like a it was like a composition of <laughs> maybe you can find you can try oh, and find I, I, I mean no, it, I went, it wouldn't do any about. justice to actually maybe play it on the radio because it's all these guys that have just won the Stanley Cup and they're all speechless. They're all speechless. Have you got it? <laughs> I don't know like, if it'll work. No, it, it may not work, <laughs> but I just want to I just want to remind everyone of this because in a weird way, like Tockett's uh Tockett's postgame speechlessness reminded me of this. And it's like the opposite. Like these mm. guys have won the Stanley Cup, and Tockett is like, uh, that's the opposite. Your feelings on winning this cup? It's, uh, I mean, it's real hard to explain. Uh... Yeah, it is. And then it's reasonably close. There wasn't as much music in the background of Tom. And ironically, though, that's such a good commercial. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what to say. Can we, can, we, can, can we put? Can we put? That would be hilarious if someone out there could do that music over talk it, talk it game yeah. yesterday and some and some of the old Boudreaux ones just for good like, color. Why not? <laughs> I miss Boudreaux. the Vancouver Canucks. No words to describe this team. I mean, he came up with them in the end. God bless him because he was. I felt again. I don't want to. No one wants to hear my interpretations or like speech analysis, right? That's going a little bit too far for AM Sports Talk Radio. But it almost felt like he had to check himself a couple times from going he all 1, in. One thousand percent did all in. He did right, and that's that's a couple things. That's a guy that just got his butt kicked, right? And uh, it's also a guy that knows he's got the leeway to criticize this group but doesn't want to go too far and to be perfectly honest uh he's gonna have to probably address calling his team soft because you know that's coming up eventually i don't know how he'll do it i don't know if he'll do the boudreaux and just kind of walk it back because it's the right thing to do but uh, that's gonna come up well i think also how he's going to address it is he's going to walk into the room of patrick alvin and jim rutherford and say Get me less soft players. See, I didn't want to say get me harder players. You can do that. (laughs) Give me some guys that are hard, right? (laughs) But, but clipping that. But um, here's the thing: some people are saying like, "Oh, we heard the same thing from Boudreaux." We did, not to that degree, and not in that way. But oftentimes, (laughs) you know, it's like when you know something's wrong, but you get that second opinion anyway, Mm -hmm. just to confirm. That's kind of what's going on right now. Like the management was like, we knew this team was pretty bad, and we knew that Bruce wasn't the guy. But you know, we let him have his say sometimes, and mm-hmm. you know, he told us that it might be the roster, and he said it out loud sometimes that it might be the players. But we just wanted to be sure, so we brought in Doctor Talkett, and he confirmed the diagnosis right. that the team isn't very good. That's what's interesting. This team has four days to live. <laughs> really, it's the All Star break. They were all going to go to Cabo. But I, you know, it's it, it again. I don't want to make too much about last night, but to, to me, last night and what happened afterwards means so much more, so much more than what happened the previous night against Chicago. Yeah, like that's the thing. Mm-hmm. Chicago, if you can beat a bad team on home ice 
and tilt the ice so that you've got a shot advantage. Like that's cool. The the one thing that the uh, Chicago game did show was like just how successful you can be when you defend. Like I I realized the opposition was bad, but the Canucks have to get back to the level where or get to the level. I don't know. Back this yeah. team is this group as it's currently constructed has never been at that level. They need to get to a level where they can consistently make teams look like Chicago, mm-hmm. right? But unfortunately, that's going to be really hard because teams are better than Chicago. Okay, Dustin from Abbey just texted in. The one comment that Tockett made that has me worried was when he made reference to the people telling him, quote-unquote, the one we just read and just heard, people telling him that this was a group that had trouble giving consistent effort. Did he not watch the team he was going to take over? Uh, Dustin from Abbey, that shouldn't be a concern. Uh, It should be... You should appreciate the fact that it only took him 48 hours to say all this stuff out loud. Right? It's the old, uh, I'll take a flamethrower to this place. Like, that is, that's what's going on, essentially. Mm -hmm. Is that, you know, all these, all these early assessments from Tockett are about what Rutherford said about major surgery. And what Alvin said about you're not going to come. This isn't going to be a quick turnaround this season. Like mm-hmm. they all are quickly identifying uh, exactly like, the major flaws in this team. I'll never fully understand why they waited 40 games into this season to get to this point. I know that there was a lot of different factors at play. And quite frankly, I don't want to relitigate all of them. But right now, like Talkit is here to kind of do exactly what he's doing. is to point out all the flaws and inefficiencies. And not really have anyone looking over, not have to look over his own shoulder to worry about what the blowback might be. Mm-hmm. He's Rutherford and Alvin's guy. Yep. This is it, right? He's kind of there to carry out the hit, right? This is what he's there to do. You just, I don't, I don't know what to say. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the best of the day. Halford and Bruff. If there are a number of teams involved and Bo Horvat doesn't like a few of them or that's not his preferred destination or whatever the case may be, all he has to do is, is speak his mind and poof, that, that vanishes. So... Um, he he really wields a lot of power here um, in this whole process. I call it the de facto no trade clause. Seven thirty-three on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody! Halford Bruff, Sportsnet six fifty. Halford and Bruff of the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, you just heard a clip from Frank Saravalli. He's going to join us in just a moment here. That's part of our Hour 2 programming. Hour 2 of the Halford & Bruff Show is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. We are giving away a pair of tickets to see a Canucks game. Yeah, we're going to keep doing it. We're just going to keep plowing ahead. Two tickets to see the Canucks and the Blue Jackets. Friday night, Rogers Arena, the Red Hot Columbus Blue Jackets took three or four points out of Alberta, mm-hmm. so they're cooking. 
Look, I'm trying to sell it, all right? Get your what we learns in. Hashtag them WWL. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. If you want to be entered into the grand prize draw for a pair of tickets, put a ticket emoji in your text. If you impress A-Dog enough, he will pick you to be the winner for a pair of tickets to see the Canucks and the Blue Jackets. 7 o'clock, Rogers Arena, tomorrow night. Okay, business done, attended to. Let's get to the next piece of business. Joining us now, Frank Saravalli from Daily Faceoff here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Frank. How are you? Good morning, boys. A lot's happened in the last week, huh? Sure has. And we just keep getting more and more details, more and more stories. We wanted to uh, start with what you were talking about on that clip that we played, uh, the Bo Horvat situation. So I like that turn of phrase, the de facto no trade clause. And we were talking about that uh, earlier in the show, about leverage in negotiations and what side has what and who's allowed to talk to whom. Uh, can you give the listeners a picture of where it sits? I guess right now, 7.34 in the morning uh, out here in Vancouver as we get closer and closer to the trade deadline. It's January 26th today. The trade deadline's still over a month away, but it certainly sounds like there's a lot of talk, a lot of negotiations, and maybe not a lot of permission granted right now between the Canucks, Horvat, Horvat's camp, the agents, and inquiring teams. Yeah, there certainly has been a lot of talk, and I think the talk that mostly everyone's interested in is the talk between the Canucks and the five or six teams which have not only expressed interest, but I think have proven to Vancouver that they're serious about landing someone like Bo Horvat. And I think the the conversation in recent days, you know, by the way, just a total aside, I, I don't know. I have no idea who he is, but this Taj guy on Twitter, like if I ever need to catch up with anything going on Canucks wise, like I just hit up the Taj feed and I, I, I saw yesterday that people seem to be worked up about the Canucks not granting Bo Horvat's camp permission to speak to other teams. I don't think it's necessary yet. I'm certainly more of an old school guy when it comes to that, that I think you talk about the fit and potential pieces that are in play. And then if you are serious about pulling the trigger, then you open that door to allow you know, your player who's on an expiring deal and his camp to speak to uh, the team that's potentially acquiring him to get a lay of the land. But I mean, are are other conversations happening, you know, behind closed doors? I'm I'm sure there are. Yeah. I mean, I think the important thing to understand is one, Twitter outrage is easy and people often love being polarized. I don't know why that is. So it's, it's always one of these either or scenarios. And then we tried to talk about it earlier. Like there's, there's, cases to be made for both sides of this like it's it's understandable why the Canucks aren't just willy-nilly granting permission to go talk to whomever you like because they want to control negotiations. property yeah you want to control negotiations and narrative to a certain degree and you want to and I think the other part of this Frank and we talked about this is maybe the Canucks aren't done putting forth their best efforts or best offers to the Horvat camp uh, where are you on that front I I don't know I mean I feel like the it's out of the barn at this point, like, and good luck trying to, to wrangle it back in. I mean, I, I feel like, is there always a last-ditch opportunity? You have to allow for it, and I've never been more surprised than I was when the JT Miller thing turned around in, in short order. So I think especially with this management group, you have to allow for that. But in this case, 
I, I just feel like everyone that's close to Bo Horvat, whether it's friends, teammates, his camp, his agents, his family, maybe probably even Bo himself, everyone is kind of just waiting for this to happen. It's a matter of where and when and not if. And that it's felt like that since really September. And when you, I, I did see, was there a report out there that said that, um, Bo basically had a quick conversation with Rick Tockett saying, Hey, regardless of whatever happens here, I'm your guy. Yep, like you can yep. count on me. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, that, does that not tell you a lot right there? Do you think ultimately, Frank, if the Canucks do, they're talking to a team and they've got like the, um, you got an idea of what the return is going to be, even the return locked in. Do you think they will ultimately grant permission to, the acquiring team to talk extension. I'm just wondering um, how many teams out there are just going to look at Horvat as a pure rental versus uh, a guy that they can extend long-term. I think there's a certain subsection of teams that are potentially looking at him as a pure rental, but I think they understand that the price is likely going to be so high that it may be prohibitive in that case to get involved and, and expend that many assets or, those types of assets to then only have a limited run and window with him. So um, in some ways, the the rental teams that have thought about it might be priced out. I also wonder what that does for teams that are non-contending teams, non-playoff teams. I think there have been a few in the mix at varying points. Uh, How aggressive are they based on how the tenor of this goes with those negotiating rights? given that they might think that the player might not make it to free agency and, and probably if you're betting likely won't. Uh, I think that's a consideration as well. Um, but I, I don't think there's anything to get too worked up about the Canucks at the moment. Um, you know, look, does Horvat have a lot of power and leverage here? There's no question, but the Canucks, you don't just give it away for no reason and say, Hey, go out and talk to whoever you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think sometimes you end up getting locked into a situation where, you know, the player really wants to go one place and then steers at a totally different place from where the best return may be. And I think that's the one thing that Canucks have to guard against. Do the convert, you kind of, I think you might've hinted at this earlier, although I might've misunderstood you. Um, Will an acquiring team have an idea, regardless of whether they're granted permission or not, about their chances of re-signing Horvath? Like, I look back to the Hampus-Lindholm deal between the Bruins and the Ducks last year, and Lindholm was traded to Boston, and it just so happened, like, the next day he signed an eight-year extension, and I feel like that. That was actually done that afternoon, and it was done within three to four hours of the trade being completed. And there were no negotiation rights granted, to my knowledge, before that. <laughs> he just decided. So it just, it just kind of it goes like... to show you. Well, here's the thing. Here's what I think it tells you. It's not just, hey, um, you know, is this player interested in signing here? Any player that you show proper love and respect to in terms of uh, the coin that you're handing out, you are, you're very likely to get a yes. You, you need to come, and, and no one's getting into this with any sort of disillusion as to what Bo Horvat's going to cost on the market. So you're coming and you're trading for him ready to pony up and essentially pay that price. And then if it happens, if he likes where he's heading, then it makes it really easy to just say, here's what we're offering. Let's get this done now. So it doesn't fester or linger. 
Let's turn our attentions to uh, Rick Tockett. Did you happen to catch his post-game press conference yesterday, Frank? What <laughs> What did you think of what he had to say? And, and oftentimes, uh, I think the story might have been um, how much he was biting his tongue or perhaps at times how much he was lost for words to describe how badly the Canucks played last night in Seattle. Yeah, I think you could see a little bit of um, Rick Tockett not on TV anymore and not uh, – not just sort of at liberty to say whatever he thinks, even though he has the right. I think you have to maintain as an NHL coach, especially in your first couple of days, a certain amount of, um, I don't know, privacy, keep, keep that in the room. Um, but here's the thing. He, he said a lot with, you know, first off, anytime any coach uses the word soft, um, but let alone coming from someone like Rick Tockett. Like, I would not want to be on the other end of that comment. Um, and he said a lot without really saying too much else in that, hey, this is unacceptable. The, you know, it's repeated. How many times have we heard? And I, I don't think it's not Rick Tockett's style to be, you know, a dig at the former uh, the former coach's predecessor, but he, what did he say? He feels like, or he wishes they could practice for 10 straight yeah. days just yeah. to get in place what he'd like to. It, unfortunately, that's not a reality. It's not going to happen. Um, but it just feels like those same sort of buzzwords are still lingering, like structure, practice, attention to detail, all those types of things that I think the Canucks management group felt for so long was missing. We're speaking to Frank Saravalli from Daily Faceoff here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, I know there's a lot of stories in Canuck land right now, and I, lo- I know we've talked about them a lot already, Frank, but I did want to kind of get an update on the lay of the land of where the rest of the trade market is because I think it's going to have a profound effect on what happens with Horvat and maybe Kuzmenko and maybe Shen. And I got to ask because it drew our attention last week. What's going on with Matt Dumba in Minnesota? He was a healthy scratch for a couple games last week. I think initially a lot of people thought – that was somehow related to a pending move, but it wasn't. And he's nope. still in the, He's still on that trade target board. It still sounds like there's a deal that's maybe to be had there, but maybe there's not. Maybe he just ends up staying in Minnesota. I think that's a, a strong possibility. I think what he went through last week as, with the healthy scratch wasn't related at all. And in fact, some ways probably depressed his trade value. Um, Look, he, he's a classic boomer bust piece at this deadline. He's got an incredible set of physical attributes with lateral movement and skating ability that, and, and physical edge that make him a really unique piece. But at the same time, because he is aggressive and because he likes to you know, run into the neutral zone on a dive bomber mission and, and just lay a guy out, with that comes some risk. And it's a risk profile that not every team is comfortable with. Um, And I I really went through his game with a fine-tooth comb, watched every shift that he's played this season for the Minnesota Wild. And he's an interesting uh, guy to to sort of profile because he doesn't fit neatly into any one box. He's not really a defensive defenseman. He's not an offensive guy. His 50-point season was a bit of an outlier. And so – I think the Wild are open. I know they're open to moving him, but they're not going to do it just to try and recoup an asset and say, hey, we we got something for this guy whose contract was expiring. They're on the outside looking in at the playoff race this morning. 
uh, actually not by points percentage, but they've really stumbled a bit in their last, you know, two weeks and they need to get back on track, but they think they're a firm playoff team. And so you're not going to just trade Matt Dumba for futures if it's going to damage your playoff chances. So that's what they're wrestling with. And we'll see what comes to the table in terms of uh, someone seriously trying to acquire him. Cause if not, they're perfectly comfortable keeping him as an own rental. Frank, this is not my way of reigniting the JT Miller to New York Islanders rumors. I am legitimately wondering what Lou Lamorello is going to do with this team. The fan base was not happy with his lack of action this offseason, and they might be even less happy with the team's performance over the last 10 games where they've just won one game and now seems unlikely at this point that the Islanders yeah. will make the playoffs. Um, what is Lou Lam going to do there? Only God and Lou know. That's the thing. Um, so rather than me give you a fool's errand and try and handicap that, I think when you look at that team, their clear need is scoring. They're in the 23rd to 25 range in goals for, you know, Ilya Sorokin has kept them in so many games. He's a big reason why their other special team, their penalty kill uh, has been so good, but they, They've got playmakers, they've got Barzell, but they don't have anyone to finish. They're all Swedish, no finish. And they really need that. Uh, they're In some ways, they, they have maybe a little bit of cap flexibility, not a ton. And they've got a bunch of guys on their team that are aging with term that are not easy to move. And so there's not a whole lot of wiggle room in terms of where they can go. But I'll tell you this, their season here in the next 10 days is on life support. You mentioned one win in the last 10. They're quickly falling out of the race, and, and they're becoming a mathematical improbability to catch teams like Pittsburgh or Washington. And so, uh, you know, even a team like the Flyers, which has been way back and has won a bit, has almost caught the New York Islanders in points percentage. So this is it for them these next 10 days or so in order to get their season in order. Uh, the center position as it pertains to Bo Horvat going on the open market, potentially in a trade, uh, how much of an effect would Ryan O'Reilly's availability and I guess Jonathan Taves' availability play into that? Well, both are available. So um, I would say in a lowercase way, they impact them because I think both those guys are looked at right now, at least as more traditional rentals. Whereas I think, the push to, to get someone like Horvat is to say, hey, we've got our center position locked up. We're good down the middle for the next seven years or whatever the number is that you're willing to sign Bo Horvat to. It's definitely not the case with Jonathan Taves. I think teams are wondering what he has left in the tank. They're wondering if giving him a change of scenery, uh, if he's open to it, will provide him a shot in the arm. We saw it maybe for the first couple weeks of the season where he turned back the clock a little bit. But since then, it's been a mostly miserable season. And what everyone is having a hard time deciphering is, is it because his most common line mates are Kurashev and Radish? Or is it because Jonathan Taves has just, you know, father time remains undefeated and has caught up to him? So on that front, um, you know, Taves, I think, still brings a lot. But O'Reilly is, is uh, I think he's a quintessential playoff gamer trade deadline piece to trade for. Um, but it's again, probably for the short term. I, I don't have any reservations about where Ryan O'Reilly's game is at. I think it's been a tough year. 
he's he was certainly before the injury a lot better in the last uh, eight weeks than he was in the first four, and he's someone that I think takes care of himself really well and and will be a valuable piece in this league for a long time. But I don't get the the sense that anyone's rushing to re-sign him. Frank, the Colorado Avalanche are back. They've won seven in a row, and you know what? They're probably going to make it eight tonight when they host the Anaheim Ducks. Um, does this winning streak and the fact that they're back in a playoff position, you mentioned that they've overtaken Minnesota, and Minnesota's now on the outside looking in of, of, of the playoff race, not on points percentage, but on points. Um, does this change uh, Colorado's attack heading into the trade deadline and maybe they're willing to get a little more aggressive at the trade deadline because they see that their team indeed does have a chance to repeat? I don't think there's a change because I think this is what Colorado was always expecting. And they knew that once they began to get a little bit healthier and will still, the scary part is get even healthier and get more critical pieces back in their lineup that, you know, this, I've been saying it for months. Like I'm not worried about the avalanche because they're a team that could easily reel off 12 straight, straight wins. And that's sort of the path that they're on right now. They're, pretty comfortably now not only back in the playoff mix but back in a playoff spot and I don't expect that to change you know given what we were just talking about with the health so I think they were always planning on being pretty aggressive I think filling that number two center spot um, has been a big you know focal point and and something that they've had their their eyes on for a while they have limited cap space they have limited assets um, but I think they have the hunger to improve there, and, and I think there's a way to do it, whether it is, you know, going after Taves or maybe, you know, I, I don't think Ryan O'Reilly's going back to Denver. You never say never, um, but there's plenty of options out there. So when we were uh, talking about the fact that we were going to um, interview you today, we were saying that you are a Philly guy and you grew up watching the Flyers. What memories do you have of Rick Tockett and those teams that he played for? Just an incredibly tough team to play against. Um, someone that brought it consistently every night. Um, really, like, no nonsense. Like, Rick Tockett, you've seen it in the post-game press conference now. You've seen it uh, on the bench. He, he's got a game face, and he means it. And I think that compete level that he had as a player, being that rare combination of points, and penalty minutes um, really put him in a unique category of players for that era. And he's a winner. You know, it's not just the two Stanley Cups as an assistant and the job that he did in Pittsburgh, but also coming in as a player on that Pittsburgh team and really being a valuable piece in terms of where they were heading and, and what they accomplished. And um, you're going to see that compete level and and hunger to win on a nightly basis. Frank, this was great, bud. Thanks a lot for doing it. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of the week. We'll do this again next Thursday. Sounds good, guys. Have a good one. You too. Thanks. Frank Saravalli from Daily Faceoff here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. I love looking back at Tockett's numbers from the 80s. So in 87-88, he had 31 goals and 299 penalty minutes. He was a rookie when he uh, when in '85 when the Flyers went to the Stanley Cup Final. They lost mm-hmm. to the Edmonton Oilers, and he was a more veteran player and a real top performer when the Flyers went again 
in 87 and lost. You know, just it was a terrific Stanley Cup final, and I've talked about it before. I think it was one of the best Stanley Cup finals ever played, 87. And then, yep. as Frank mentioned, like, I don't want to say you forget about him going to the Penguins, but I always think of him like he's a flyer, right? Sure. But then he goes to the Penguins, and he was a big part of those really, really good teams in the early 90s. He had a season where he scored 48 goals, 109 points, 252 penalty minutes. You're almost like, where did he find the time to score all those goals? He was spending so much of it in the penalty box. Yeah, he was a real rarity. I mean, not at the time, but when you look back on it, there wasn't a lot of guys that could put up that many goals and have that many pims because it almost didn't make sense. So when Rick Tockett calls your team soft after the second game that he's seen them in purpose, in in purpose, in person, like, you know he's going to have that message for management, and management already knows, right? Like, there's a reason they brought in Rick Tockett. Yep. There's not because, like, (laughs) they're too hard. We need someone to soften them up like Rick Tockett. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's where it comes from, first of all, coaching. He's going to try and instill some of that attitude in them. But also, changes. Just changes. Just, And this is why I think a lot of people are frustrated at the fact that, you know, they seem intent on bringing back some of these guys. Yeah. Like, Kuzmenko, people are frustrated with that. Although some people want the Canucks to keep Kuzmenko. But the fact that, there still seems to be that like small chance that they might bring back Horvat. And I'm, I count myself in this group. No, like switch it up. Mm-hmm. Just change the mix because this mix doesn't work. Is Horvat a good player? Yeah. Right. But you got to change it up sometimes. Like just roster purge. I was texting back and forth with Justin Bourne last night and a couple of other guys and we were talking about um, just changing over the teams and some of the unexpected benefits that you can get just by churning the team and giving opportunities to other guys. And I can't remember who it was in the text message, but it was like Zach Hyman was a player in Toronto that nobody really expected much of. But when they tore it all down to the studs, he's like, here's my opportunity. And all of a sudden, you've unearthed this diamond in the rough because that player has been given the opportunity. You know, the Canucks, it seems like so many times there's like, they're not a good team, and yet there's still roadblocks to make the team because there's so many bodies there. And I think that uh, is harkens back to what Talk had said and what Alvin and Rutherford said about getting more bottom six guys and seeing what they can do in elevator roles. And Jack Stadnick has never had this opportunity in his life before, dating back to Boston. Maybe there's something there that we're not seeing. Maybe the opportunity, when presented, will flourish. You're going to see more and more of that, I people think. Are, people are texting in about that team that Tockett was on in 92-93. Get a, get a load of this lineup. Mario Lemieux, Kevin Stevens, Rick Tockett, Ron Francis, Yarmir Yager, Larry Murphy, Joe Mullen. Five of seven in the Hall of Fame that you just listed. Yeah, was incredible. Paul, wasn't Paul Coffey on one of those lineups too? Uh, he, he, I don't know if he was on that team. I mean, the, 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 listen, this, was, so pre, this was pre Five Hall of Famers, though. That's an entire line of Hall of Famers yep. on one it's team. Inc- Let incredible. us not forget Tom Barrasso. Yeah, that's right. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.